you open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 8, we are chugging along in this book of wisdom. And we have uh, chapter 8 we're going to look at tonight, Lord willing. Um, next week we'll look at chapter 9. Well, last week we looked at Proverbs chapter 7 and we witnessed the seductive woman. Uh, and ultimately she was a picture of sin personified. We saw her in her secrecy, uh, in darkness. She spoke lies, but those lies were very real and very powerful. And they offer immediate pleasure, though they give destructive outcomes. Isn't that a picture of sin? It gives us pleasure for a season, but the outcome is always death. The wage of sin is death. That's what you earn. That's one of those simple Bible verses if you struggle to memorize scripture. You know, I love listening to Charlie. Charlie's memorizing a lot of scripture. But if you struggle, that's one of those verses that you can memorize very easily. The wage of sin is death. And anytime you're tempted, it's amazing how the Holy Spirit's able to take that word and bring that to the forefront of your mind just to remind you, even though sin may look pleasant, it may look pleasurable because it is momentarily. Remember what God's word says, the wage of sin is death. And that's what we saw the seductress leading us to last week. Today we're going to see God's wisdom as a superior alternative to sin. If you'll go to verse 1, chapter 8 verse 1, does not wisdom cry out and understanding lift up her voice? She takes her stand on the top of the high hill beside the way where the paths meet. She cries out by the gates at the entry of the city. Now notice the stark differences between the seductive woman and wisdom, which here in our chapter is going to be personified. Notice in verse 1 that she cries out and she lifts up her voice. Why? So that all can hear. Remember the seductive woman, she was quiet. She was secretive. She was lurking around trying to find her prey. And here we see wisdom just crying out so that all could hear. In verse 2, we see her on top of the high hill. Again, why? So all can see. She's visible. She's there. She's present. So everyone is able to behold her. We also see in verse 2 her, where the paths meet. That's where we can encounter her. In other words, this is the crossroads of life. This is ultimately where every one of us, there's either the seductress or sin, or there's God's wisdom and his word. And we all face those crossroads where we have to make a choice. Do we follow after the desires of sin or do we follow after the word of God? But notice she's there at that point where the paths meet. Praise God for that, right? Praise the Lord that he speaks to us when we get to those crossroads. His spirit is faithful to do that. His word is faithful to do that. So that we understand the dynamics of those two options that we have before us. One commentator said that both rub shoulders. Speaking of both sin and God's word or wisdom. Both rub shoulders in the city and appeal for the love of the uncommitted gullible youth. And so we all have a choice. Do we listen to sin or do we listen to the word of God? She is at the gates. At the entry of the city. And so she meets us before we encounter all that life has to offer, all that the city will present us. In other words, she, she's there to speak to us before we encounter life. And that's God's desire, right? Through his word. He wants to speak to us before life happens so that we understand how to respond in a way that honors the Lord. And that's why, because he's our father. 
He's a good parent. He wants to warn us about things that are dangerous. He wants to encourage us about things that are good. And, and so he is a father even to the fatherless, right? Some of us maybe didn't have that father to speak into our life, to warn us about things, to speak truth, to teach us what it means to be a, a man or a woman. But God wants to be that father to the fatherless, even to those who did not have it. He wants to speak to us as we enter the city, whether it be about relationships, finances, pleasure and entertainment, living skills, any aspect of life. As we go through this book of Proverbs, we're going to see God will speak to us. He will give us wisdom. He'll help us to be skillful with life, skillful with knowledge, how to apply God's word to our hearts and to our lives. Have you noticed that this book's very practical? In fact, it's only going to get more practical, actually. We've, we've kind of gone through a lot of... Um, I don't want to say philosophy, but we've really looked at things from a philosophical level up to this point. But as we go into chapter 10, it's going to get very practical. He's going to give us these proverbs that you can apply to everyday life. Um, and so in verse 4, notice now the call. To you, O man, I call. This is wisdom speaking here. Or if you want to just say this is God's word speaking. To you, O man, I call. And my voice is to the sons of men. O oh, you simple ones, understand prudence. And you fools, be of an understanding heart. Listen, for I will speak of excellent things. And from the opening of my lips will come right things. For my mouth will speak truth. Wickedness is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness. Nothing crooked or perverse is in them. Notice that wisdom, she calls for us, she pleads with us to listen to her, right? Why? Because ultimately her words can be trusted. God's word can be trusted. And this is very important. I believe there's a reason why that, that wisdom is calling to us here and, and wisdom is begging us to listen and pay attention. And it's because that sometimes, isn't it true that wisdom has things to tell us that we don't want to hear? See, God's word, his wisdom, doesn't always tell us what's pleasant, what's easy, what's, what we want to hear. Sometimes we can even surround ourselves with people who will tell us what we want to hear. You know, or, or maybe you're going through a situation and you know what you should do, but you know you'd rather do this. And so you call the person who's going to encourage you to do what you really want to do. It's convenient. But her truth at times is inconvenient. And isn't it true that God's word and his ways sometimes makes life more difficult in the short term? See, we don't want to misunderstand the fact, if you decide to follow Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, there is no promise in the Bible that life's going to get easier. There's no promise that everything's just going to work out beautifully and lovely and just the way that we hope things go. Some people actually turn to Christ to try to use Jesus to get something from him. They think, well, I've tried other things, let me try Jesus. And maybe he'll give me what I want. Maybe he'll get the outcomes that I desire. But rather, sometimes following Jesus is difficult. There's a cross to carry. There's compromises that we won't make when we follow him, right? Sometimes it's difficult. For example, have you ever heard of the Billy Graham rule? This is a rule that Billy Graham instituted that he would never be alone with a woman other than his wife. And so when he would go to hotels, he would actually have another man always with him. He would never sleep by himself in a hotel room. And he would never meet with a woman behind closed doors alone. And, uh, you know, when you listen to him talk about that role, it sounds really great on paper. 
But when you actually implement that role into your life as a, as a man, it, be, it becomes difficult. It becomes inconvenient. Because now sometimes you have to wait for someone to be that third person when you could work things out maybe with an individual very quickly. Uh, and so when you try to follow the Lord and his word and things that he's revealed to you, sometimes it actually creates inconveniences. It creates difficulty because you're trying to do things above board. You're not making compromises. You're not cutting corners. And that's our nature. We like to cut corners when we can. We like to get to the, to the place as quickly as possible. And so wisdom is begging us to listen because sometimes it has hard truth to say. It's kind of like when you go into a supermarket and maybe you're on a health food kick and you said, you know what, I'm going to eat better. But in order to get to the health food section, you have to go through all the junk food first. And all that junk food, it's just calling out your name. You see all the bags of the munchies on this side. You see the sweets and treats on this side. And it'd be so easy just to grab something that would taste really good in the short term. And sometimes that's a picture, I believe, of God's word. You know, his word speaks wisdom to us. Meanwhile, sin is like that junk food. It's there calling out our name and it would taste really good in the moment. But we realize long term, and this is what wisdom is always looking at, Long term, that health food's going to benefit. Now, I'm speaking to myself here. I'm not lecturing you, right? You realize when you teach the word, so many times it's just coming right back at you. You know, you, you teach the word not because you've mastered it. You teach it because it's true. And that's what God's wisdom is. So she speaks truth. Sin tells you what you want to hear at the detriment of truth. And therefore, it lies to you. And guess what? It brings destruction, as we saw last week with the seductive woman. And therefore, wisdom hates wickedness. Wisdom hates lies. Why? Because it robs people of God's goodness. It robs people of what God wants to do in our life. And so, no doubt, wisdom here is showing us that everything that comes from her lips is right. She speaks excellent things. From my mouth I will speak truth, in verse 7. Wickedness, therefore, is an abomination to my lips. All the words of my mouth are with righteousness, and nothing crooked or perverse is in them. Aren't you thankful that that's God's word? That we can turn to the word. This is the only book in the universe you can turn to and say, this book is flawless. This book is perfect. This book is nothing but truth. And every other word is going to be tested by this truth. Verse 9. They are all plain to him who understands. Now that's speaking of wisdom's words or God's word, if you will. And write to those who find knowledge. Receive my instruction and not silver. And knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies. And all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. Now, we've heard this before, those of you who've been with us for a while. The comparison between the most valuable things in this world and God's wisdom. And it doesn't even compare. You can take gold, you can take silver, you can take rubies. All the precious things that this world has to offer. And look, those things are good in and of themselves. It's not that anything's wrong with those things. But we realize those things are temporal. And if you live for those things, then you will undoubtedly miss out on wisdom. Because you cannot serve two masters. Remember who said that? Wasn't it Jesus? You cannot serve two masters. In fact, he said no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one 
and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. That's Matthew 6, 24. And so the Lord warned us, it's not that riches are bad. It's not that gold, silver, rubies are bad, but it, it becomes our hearts. What is it that I'm seeking? Am I seeking after these things that ultimately I can't take with me? Or am I seeking after the Lord? Am I seeking Him? Am I seeking His wisdom that will be eternal? And that's the point here. That wisdom has eternal ramifications for the positive. And nothing we can desire compares to her, compares to the Word of God. You know, I, I think about this sometime. If you were to tell me that everything in my life would be taken away from me, and I could only keep one thing, what would I keep? Have you ever asked yourself that question? What if someone was to take your Bible from you and you didn't know much of it, you didn't have it memorized? Wouldn't that be the, one of the worst things in the world? I mean, just to not have the Word of God after you've tasted what truth really is, after you've tasted the Word, you've seen that it is good, you've seen the wisdom of it, and to not have it, that's a nightmare for me as a believer. And so the Word of God, it's so much greater than all these temporal things. As a believer, I think the Spirit of God, He works on your heart to, to realize that truth, right? Before Jesus, before you were a Christian, this is all like foreign language. Like, <laughs> I'll take the rubies. I'll take the money. I'll steal from someone to get those things if I have to. But once you become a born-again Christian and you taste and see that the Lord is good, you really, really know Him. And His Spirit begins to unfold the Word to you. Isn't this what the Holy Spirit does in your heart? Doesn't He tell you that, these th that His Word is so much better than those other things that maybe you were pursuing all along? And so we continue on. Verse 12. I, wisdom, again, this is wisdom speaking, dwell with prudence... And find out knowledge and discretion. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogance and the evil way, and the perverse mouth I hate. Now, now we, we come back to a familiar term in the book of Proverbs, that fear of the Lord. Remember that term? Remember how at the very beginning of this book, he told us the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. It's the beginning of wisdom. It's where everything begins. So if you miss the fear of the Lord, if you miss that healthy reverence for God, then you totally miss the point of this book. And this book will just become a bunch of how-tos, which again, will profit you because this is God's word. But you miss the point. It's about reverence for God. But notice this get, goes a little bit further than what we've seen before in, in Proverbs. It says here, the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Now, when you hear that word hate in English, typically we think that it's a strong disliking, which is true. That's, that's very similar to this word in Hebrew. It does mean to strongly dislike something, but it also implies rejection. Okay? In other words, to fear the Lord, which we know is the beginning of wisdom, causes us to hate what God hates, causing us to therefore hate sin and reject it for what it is. Okay? In other words, it's more than just an emotion. It's more than just a feeling. It leads to a decision to reject evil. And think about it. You're, you're at that crossroad. You're at that crossroad where do I go left or right? 
Do I choose sin or do I choose to follow the Lord? And the fear of the Lord will actually move on your heart to despise that wickedness that's right in front of you. And maybe that wickedness is the same thing that's tripped you up time and time and time and time again in your Christian experience. And yet this healthy reverence for God will cause you to begin to hate that sin and therefore reject it for what it is. Isn't that what, what we need in our hearts? I need the God's spirit to do this in my heart. I don't want to just not want to sin. I mean, I want that. But I need more of God's spirit. I need him to change my desires. I need to see sin for what it is. And I need to not only see it and hate it, I need to reject it so that I can walk away from it, so that I can go on the right path that God has set before me. Now, what is the opposite of heeding God's word? What's the opposite of going in the direction of the Lord? Well, obviously, we see here something that he hates. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, but notice it also says pride and arrogance and the evil way. Remember, we were at the crossroads, right? So he loves the good way, but he hates the evil way. And what leads us down the evil way? Well, I'm not going to listen. Pride and arrogance. It causes me not to submit to the word of God. It causes me not to listen to wisdom. You see this in your teenagers sometimes, right? The 18-year-old who knows it all. I'm not going to listen to mom and dad. I know better. I think most of us were at that place one time or another, right? You had people who were trying to speak wisdom to you, and you said, ah, these older people, they don't know what they're talking about. And then as you get older, you realize, wow, if I just would have listened to some of those people who spoke into my life when I was 18 years old, I would have protected myself from a lot of unnecessary baggage and harm. And so the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, arrogance, and the evil way, the perverse mouth I hate. It's in direct opposition to the Lord. Remember last week we saw who has the perverse mouth, the seductress, who is a picture of sin. And so that perverse mouth, that crooked mouth, that mouth that leads people astray, the Lord hates. Why? Because it's opposite of his word that always speaks truth. Always, 100% of the time. Verse 14, counsel is mine and sound wisdom. I am understanding and I have strength. By me, kings reign and rulers decree justice. And by me, princes rule and nobles, all the judges of the earth. I love those who love me, and those who diligently seek me will find me. Notice here that God, just as God's wisdom created the structure via his decrees, we're going to see this as we move forward in this chapter. We're going to see how God's word, like as you see in the book of Genesis, he spoke and then everything came into existence, right? He made a decree and all of a sudden there was order out of chaos. And so just as God's wisdom created structure via his decrees or his commands so earthly rulers bring structure to their society through their own decrees. When you are in a position of authority like a king or a prince or a noble, you can speak forth something and that something can become binding because your words matter. And why do those words matter? Who gave that person authority? According to Romans, the Lord did. See, every person in authority is there, not because they're godly necessarily, right? A lot of people in authority are actually crooked. But ultimately, those people have authority because the Lord has given them that authority. Now, what they do with that authority, that's up to them. 
And every one of those people will have to answer to the Lord what they did with that authority. You know, all around the world today, you see different countries. Uh, when there's, for example, natural disasters, and you see all these organizations sending money to these countries. Let's say, for example, Haiti. You know, remember when the earthquake hit Haiti? And all this money's being funneled down to Haiti. What happens to that money? Does it usually go to the actual people? Many times, no. You have people in authority who are crooked, who take that money, who steal it. And the people, the everyday people, never see any of it. Those people in authority will have to answer to the Lord. But the, what, the idea, again, is that they have that authority. Their word matters. Why? Because the Lord has established this order in the universe. And so I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Are you seeking the Lord diligently? Are you really seeking him? You know, I, I just want to ask that question to your own heart. Am I seeking after the Lord? Am I seeking after him diligently that I will find him? Now, we realize as believers, this is a work of the Holy Spirit, right? Like, no one's going to seek him unless the Lord, the Lord through the Spirit is drawing us. He's doing this work within us to desire him. But ultimately, I believe he, he longs to be wanted. You know, the Lord desires us to seek after him as a father desires that child to play hide-and-go-seek and find daddy who's hiding behind the door. What a joy it is when I get to play with my boys, especially the little one who's two. And with a two-year-old, you can pretty much hide anywhere, right? They don't, they're equal opportunity hiders. In fact, you can hide in the same place over and over and over again. They think it's kind of funny. But when that child opens that door and sees daddy and that face just lights up, it's like the world just got so much brighter. I just think of how the Lord must feel when we seek him and how much he wants us to find him when we do seek him. That's why he's given us his word. That's why wisdom is crying out for everyone to hear and see. He desires to make himself known and he ultimately did that through Jesus, right? In fact, Aaron mentioned this to me earlier. As we go through the remainder of this book, many of these verses you could apply to Jesus Christ as you're going to seek. Why? Because wisdom's personified here. And who is the ultimate personification of wisdom? It's Jesus. In 1 Corinthians, it says he became for us wisdom. And so, seek after the Lord. You will never, ever, ever regret seeking after him with your whole heart. I promise you. You will never regret it. And there is no end to what you might find as you seek him. Riches and honor are with me. See how he wants to bless. Enduring riches and righteousness. Verse 19, my fruit is better than gold, yes, than fine gold, and my revenue than choice silver. I traverse the way of righteousness and in the midst of the paths of justice. And so this is where you can find him. That I may cause those who love me to inherit wealth, and that I may fill their treasuries. Now it almost seems like he's contradicting himself, or she, I guess, if we're going to personify her as a woman here. It seems like she's kind of contradicting herself, because on one hand, it says that what she has is better than gold. On the other hand, though, she wants to fill the treasuries, right? And some of you, your antennas are going up saying, uh-oh. Is this prosperity gospel here? What, what, what are we getting at as we look at this? Well, first of all, it is speaking of future wealth, eternal wealth, right? The Lord wants to bless you eternally with riches that no moth, no thief, no rust, nothing can destroy. The Lord wants to do an eternal work in us to store up treasure in heaven. That's the ultimate goal. 
But this also can mean temporal. Because if you would follow Proverbs and you would understand wisdom, when wealth comes, then it produces someone who rightly uses wealth, right? It produces someone who knows how to handle blessings, which ultimately will lead to future blessings because you're going to use that wealth to glorify the Lord and bless others. And I believe that the Lord will entrust certain people. There are rich Christians in the world, right? There were Christians who were wealthy in the New Testament times. Many of the women were wealthy, and they supported Jesus and the disciples financially. There were people who, who uh, provided for Paul. And so there have been wealthy Christians. It, it's not like you can't be wealthy and be a Christian, but again, it goes back to your relationship with that wealth. And here it's saying, not the person who pursues wealth. No, this is the person who pursues wisdom. And wisdom will pour out into our lives. Now, some people may never see wealth on this side. But again, the, the ultimate wealth is the eternal things that God is doing in and through us. And if you use your earthly wealth for eternal things, that's how you store up treasure in heaven. So the Lord doesn't trust us with these things. He wants us to be stewards with the things that he gives us. And I think wisdom helps us to be that good steward. That's the point. The Lord, verse 22... The Lord possessed me at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. Now when it says here that it possessed, that the Lord possessed me, remember he's, it's speaking of wisdom here. In other words, it means that the Lord brought me forth. The idea is that wisdom comes from God's being and his nature, right? He alone is wise. And because he's wise, wisdom comes forth from him. Just like because he's love, love comes forth from him. It's, it's his person. It's his character. There was nothing besides God in eternity past. He is. He always was. He always will be. He's totally self-sufficient. He does not need anyone or anything. So he is wise. But from him, because he's wise, comes wisdom. It was brought forth from him. It's an overflow of his being. And therefore, because it comes from him, it has to be revealed. You realize that the world through worldly wisdom will never find God. He has to reveal himself to us. If you're left to yourself, you will not find him. But if you seek him and you allow the Spirit of God to unfold things before your eyes, then you will find him. And as you read the scriptures, who does the Spirit show you that the Word is always ultimately about? Who is it always pointing us to? Jesus. And so we see in verse 22, the Lord possessed me, he possessed wisdom at the beginning of his way, before his works of old. 23, I have been established from everlasting from the beginning, before there was ever an earth, okay? Before creation. And in verses 24 through 26, we will see wisdom being passively present when the Lord created the universe. We'll see terms when it says, when there were no, and also terms such as before language. Uh, and so look at verse 24 here. When there were no depths, I was brought forth, okay? What does that word depths mean? It literally means the oceans below the earth. Okay? The depths are the oceans below the earth. These are the first aspects of God's creative act. If you're taking notes, Genesis 1-2 states that darkness was on the face of the deep. The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. You remember that from the book of Genesis? And so this is saying that wisdom was there, right? When there were no depths, I was brought forth. 
when there were no fountains abounding with water. What does that mean? Well, when there were no fountains abounding with water, these fountains were places where water springs up from the earth's depths to nourish the earth. Okay? So think about it this way. If you're going to listen to someone regarding something, wouldn't you rather to, to listen to someone who is present rather than someone giving you secondhand information? Okay? Remember, this is wisdom trying to get us to say, listen, listen to me. And part of the strategy here is wisdom is saying, I was there. I was there before God even created anything that you've experienced. Whether it was the, the, uh, the depths, whether it was the fountains abounding with water, these springs within the ocean. Verse 25, notice also, before the mountains were settled. Now that's not necessarily speaking of the mountains that we look at outside. Rather, these are probably the foundations of the earth in the depths of the ocean. Did you realize that within the ocean there's mountains? That the, the, the oceans go so deep, whatnot. In fact, Jonah would actually say when he was in the belly of the great fish, he stated, I went down to the foundation of the mountains. And so many times this is poetic language showing us the depths of the sea, the peaks of the sea, the mountains were settled. Before the hills I was brought forth. Now this more likely does speak of the heights, the hills, the mountains that we see here on ground level. And while as yet he had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world. What in the world does he mean, that primal dust? That's a weird term. Literally means beginning of the dust. And that means the dust from which man was made, the dust from which man works and cultivates, the dust in which man lives, and the dust to which man will return. And he was there while as yet... He had not made the earth or the fields or the primal dust of the world. And ultimately from which he made man, wisdom was there. Wisdom was present at creation, at the foundation of the earth. And guess what? Unlike man. Have you ever met people, maybe who they're really into science? And when you listen to them speak about their theories of how the earth began, you would think they were there. I mean, how can you test something that you can't observe? Right? Anyone who's ever had any kind of science class, isn't science observance? And you observe something through time, you observe something repeatedly, and you test it out. And yet our, our scientific community looks at creation and they say, this is what happened as if they were there. But do you, do you remember when God spoke to Job? Remember when God entered at the picture of Job and what he told him? He said, when were, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Where were you, Job? Were you there when I did all these things, all the creation? And of course, Job is there just, he, he's just already face down in dust and in ashes. He's just repenting at the first word that God speaks to him there towards the end of the book of Job. And Job was a righteous man. And Job did not curse the Lord. Can you imagine the people who in their pride, remember how we saw that the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, arrogance, pride, can you imagine people who are proud today, who claim to understand the creation, who claim there is no God, when they stand before the maker? And he utters those words, were you there when I laid the foundation of the, earth, of the earth, of the world? Wisdom was, and that's the point. Wisdom was there, and therefore, guess what? Listen, listen to what God has to say. 
And so in verses 24 through 26, we saw wisdom present in creation. And if you would go back into those verses, if you want to study on your own, you'll see it goes from below to above. Now in verses 27 through 31, we're going to see references from, from above to below. Look in verse 27 with me. When he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. Okay. And so before we even get to that though. Here's, here's what we're going to see as we look through these last few verses. We will behold wisdom not just present at creation. We're going to see wisdom actually celebrating the creation of God. And that is because true wisdom should celebrate and rejoice in creation. Right. If you really have wisdom, and that's what wisdom is showing us here, it should cause you to praise the Lord. It should cause you to rejoice in Him. When you think about different fields of study, do these fields of study result in praising the Lord? Okay? Math and science. I just kind of mentioned that earlier. These things study structure and order and the nature of creation. These things should point us to the Lord and cause our minds and our hearts to rejoice in Him. You know, as you study these things, whether it be great big things, as you study the stars, the cosmos, as you study the atmosphere, it should cause you to rejoice in the Lord. If you're in, up in an airplane like Jason is so often, and you're up there in the midst of the sky, that should cause you to praise the Lord. You're in this little tin can, and you see how great and glorious God must be that He just spoke forth all these things into existence. If you are a studier of language, right, that should cause you to utilize language to communicate God's creation and proclaim his great glory. But apart from the Lord, language becomes crude and deceiving, right? Math and science without him becomes lifeless and dead. But what about the arts? The arts, they capture the aesthetic beauty of creation, but when you have arts apart from the Lord, don't they become corrupt? You know, I love art. But one of the sad things of art, as you look at it today, you see how corrupt it's become, how wicked it's become, how just twisted and sexually perverted it's become. Why? Because it's devoid of its creator. It should point us to the Lord. All wisdom does, and it should cause us to rejoice in him. And so when he prepared the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep. Now what does that mean? It probably means the horizon. As he created what we would call the horizon. Right? Job 26.10 says he drew a circular horizon on the face of the waters. Job 26.10. And so the horizon, scientists observe and calculate it. Poets describe it through language. Artists try to capture it through paint or other mediums. And again, it should cause us to praise the Lord. Verse 28. When he established the clouds above, and that's speaking of the, the clouds remaining suspended above the earth. It doesn't mean that they're there fixed. When he strengthened the fountains of the deep, again, that subterranean fountains that we looked at earlier. When he assigned to the sea its limits, so that the waters would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Okay, The sea has a limit. He commanded it. If you're taking notes, Job 38, 10 through 11, it says, God declared, when I fixed my limit for it and set bars and doors, when I said, this far you may come, but no farther. And here your proud waves must stop. We see that it was the Lord who created boundaries and he allowed the sea to only go so far. You know, and in, in ancient history, in ancient culture, the sea was always looked at as a place that was very chaotic. 
It was a dangerous place, right? It still is. And so, but within that chaos, there's boundaries. God has established boundaries even within that chaos. The same way with the world that we live in, right? He's established freedom. He's established, but boundaries. And even within those boundaries, though, because of sin, we see chaos all around us at times. But it doesn't mean he's not in control. Because there are certain boundaries that can't be crossed. And I believe as you look at human history, as humans get close to those boundaries, God judges. And he establishes order, right? He lifts up nations. He tears them down. It's, it's human history. Verse 29, and so he assigned the sea its limit. It's beautiful. So the waters would not transgress his command when he marked out the foundations of the earth. Then I was beside him as a master craftsman. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing always before him, rejoicing in his inhabited world. And my delight was with the sons of men. Notice true wisdom always results in rejoicing in the Lord and in his works. It's true wisdom. We see wisdom's rejoicing culminating actually in the sons of men, God's creation in his very own image. Think of the angels. As God creates man in his image, what must that have been like? These created beings in glory, seeing God out of the dust of the earth, creating man, breathing life into Adam from his rib, doing genetic surgery and creating Eve. What was that like to behold? God fashioning this man in his own likeness, in his own image. And the picture is wisdom is there rejoicing before the Lord. In fact, in the Hebrew, it's almost as if wisdom is dancing before the Lord, just marveling at the creation as God is just unfolding it right before everyone's eyes, so to speak. Beautiful picture, rejoicing in his inhabited world. And my delight was with the sons of men, the pinnacle of his creation, right? We know creation testifies to the glory of God. It declares his glory. And while we're not big, we're not always big John Calvin fans, he does have some good things to say. He said this, he said, there is not one blade of grass and there is no, no color in this world that is not intended to make us, re, re, that is not intended to make us rejoice. And so everything in creation, as you look at the world that we live in, it should all cause us to say, the Lord is amazing. He's an artist. He's all powerful. He's an engineer. He is everything all wrapped into one. Because he is wisdom at its core. He alone is wise. And so now, therefore, listen to me, my children. He's just going to conclude after you've seen everything that wisdom has, has been a, a spectator of. Now, therefore, listen to me, my children, for blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not disdain it. Blessed is the man who listens to me. I think we'd be wise to do that. Watching daily at my gates and waiting at the posts of my doors. Forever, for whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who sins against me wrongs his own soul. All those who hate me love death. Now I just want to close with this. We talked about this earlier. Wisdom ultimately points us 
to the one who is the, the personification of wisdom, and that is Jesus Christ, right? Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we know, was active in creation. All things were created through him and for him, right? He is the word that became flesh. He dwelt among us, but he is the word that is eternal. And he was there with the Father, with the Spirit, with wisdom, if you will, and he was creating everything that we see. And we know that this God, this, this powerful God who has to be extremely intelligent and extremely powerful took on flesh. And it's the miracle of the incarnation that God became man and he dwelt among us. And, and John would say, we beheld his glory. We beheld it. It was right in front of our eyes in the person of Jesus. And it's amazing that God becoming flesh, he would dwell among us. He would speak truth to us, right? He did not speak lies. He spoke truth and he spoke it openly, just as wisdom did here. And everything that you read here, if it's wisdom, it points you to him ultimately. And he's the one who ultimately gives abundant life. And so, therefore, if you reject him, you wrong your own soul. If you reject him then you hate him and you love death. But if you receive him, to those who receive him, he gives the right to become the children of God. He'll forgive you of every sin. He'll cleanse you. He'll wash you. Why? Because he's the only perfect life. And he lived the perfect life we couldn't live. And he died the death that we deserved so that we could be forgiven. I just want to encourage you, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, wisdom personified, God alone who is wise, it's a gift that he offers you tonight. It's a gift. He paid for it with his blood on a cross. He gave his life. When it says he gave his blood, that means he gave his life. And he died in your place so that you could be forgiven. God poured out his wrath on Jesus Christ so that he didn't have to pour his wrath out on you. But if you reject him, you will face God's wrath. Please understand. And there is a real place called hell. And it is eternal. See, God speaks eternal things because he is eternal. He's outside of time. And he's warning us here of eternal things. And so have you trusted in the Savior? Have you believed on Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior? If you have questions, see, see one of us afterward. See me afterward. I'll make myself available. If you'd like to meet Jesus, I'd love to introduce him to you. Right? But he's a person. He's not just a doctrine. The doctrine points to the person of Jesus. I just want to close with this beautiful poem by William Cowper. Listen to this. I, it's, it's in King James English, so bear with me if some of the words are a little hard to understand. Ere God had built the mountains... Or raise the fruitful hills before he filled the fountains that feed the running rills. In thee, from everlasting, the wonderful I am, found pleasures ever, never wasting, and wisdom is thy name. When, like a tent to, to dwell in, he spread the skies abroad and swathed about the swelling of ocean's mighty flood, he wrought by weight and measure. And thou wast with him then, thyself the Father's pleasure, and thine the sons of men. And couldst thou be delighted with creatures such as we, who when we saw thee slighted, and nailed thee to a tree, 
unfathomable wonder and mystery divine, the voice that speaks in thunder says, Sinner, I am thine. Beautiful. Wish I could speak that way. <laughs> Jesus is amazing. Amen? Amen? Let's trust in him. Let's trust his word. It's eternal. It's truth. It's good for us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you desire good things for us. Thank you that even in creation it testifies, Lord, of who you are. God, everything that we see, everything we experience, Lord, it's like an arrow directed to heaven. And uh, God, so we thank you for that. We thank you for your word that's eternal. We thank you that you never lied to us. Lord, we've been deceived. People have deceived us. We've deceived our own selves at times. The enemy has deceived us. But we thank you that you are the only source that is completely true. That we can truly trust in you, Lord. That you will not flip the script on us, Lord. You're not a man that you should lie. You will not promise us eternal life and then tell us that it was just one big joke. Thank you, Lord, that you're serious about these things. That we can, re we can rely upon you, Lord. We can entrust you with our, our souls, Lord. We can trust your son that he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He will wash us. He will clean us, Lord. Though our sins are like scarlet, Lord, they'll be whiter than snow, whiter than wool, Lord. Thank you for the good news. Thank you for your word, Lord. We praise you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.